people said, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, worship team. Yeah, you can give them a hand. I had to take a step back for a moment. It just was beautiful hearing y'all singing hallelujah and just uh, being able to lift our voices corporately to be able to do that is a beautiful thing. If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pina, and I got a chance to serve as the interim pastor here at uh, Firewell Bible Fellowship, and we are glad that you are here worshiping with us today. As you walked in, hopefully you should have received one of these, one of these nice new pretty uh, sermon guides. So if you're interested in one of these to kind of walk through uh, today's sermon and be able to take some notes on, then uh, just raise your hand and uh, Keegan and some others can help you get one if you didn't get one already. But these are, as soon as you walk in on the table, you'll find those. Um, so that way you can be able to get those and kind of follow along with us. So last week, we started a sermon series in the book of Ephesians, and what we did last week is we introduced kind of the, the context of the book and kind of did an overview of what the book of Ephesians is all about, and we find it divided into two nice sections, basically chapters one through three, focusing more on the theological and doctrinal section, and then really the rest of the book focusing on the practical side of how to walk through this thing we call the Christian life. Now... What we did after we introduced the book is we talked about six spiritual blessings that we receive by being in Christ. And as Ashby alluded to last week, I showed you the gospel according to plasticware or Tupperware. And so we talked about what does it mean for us to be in Jesus. And this is really important, not only as a means of review, but also this language of being in Christ is going to come up a number of times in what we're going to look at today in chapter 2. Because chapter 2 really serves as kind of an extension of chapter 1. Chapter 1 lays the groundwork of this letter and then talks about all these different spiritual blessings, but then Paul is going to take us in chapter 2, take a step back for this church, and he's going to cause them to remember who they were before they came to Jesus and the spiritual situation they found themselves in. And then after they come to Christ and they're in Christ, he's going to talk about the work of salvation that happens in their life when we then place our faith and trust by grace through faith you have been saved, and then that way we're placed into Jesus. So we talked a little bit about this last week, how when we place our faith in Christ, then you... You being you as a person, then you are placed in Jesus. And one of the spiritual benefits that we have of being in Jesus is that we receive the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin, brings us to saving knowledge, but when we respond in faith to Christ, we are literally sealed with the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit then takes residence within the believer, and now he is in you. Just like you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit now is in you. So we find ourselves that we are in Jesus. And Paul is going to continue this talk of being in Christ, as I mentioned, in chapter 2. And he's going to take it a little bit further, and he's going to talk about what does the work of salvation happen when we are in Jesus, the depths of that. Not just the blessings that come with that, but what does salvation actually mean for those of us who are in Christ. And just as a way of review about last week, we talked about these six spiritual benefits. Here are the benefits, just the rapid-fire succession. Number one, we were chosen. Number two, we've been adopted. Number three, we've, been, we've received redemption and forgiveness. Number four, we have spiritual insight. Number five, we have an inheritance. And then number six, we are given the promised Holy Spirit. So only those who are in Christ receive the Father's blessings. So only those who are in Jesus receive these blessings that Paul says are given to those who are in faith. 
So today, like I said, we're going to take a set. He's going to take the Ephesian believers back. Remember, this is a church. He's writing to believers. And he's going to start by taking them back to help them remember who they were before they came to Christ. And that's a good place for us to remember sometimes. Sometimes we need to remember where we came from. Now, let me go ahead and I want to share a few pictures with you today. We're going to do a little show and tell. But the saying goes that a picture is worth a thousand words. All right? A picture is worth a thousand words. Now, when we look at a picture, you can see a moment as if it's frozen in time. You can look at a picture and you can remember the situation and circumstance that happened. You can remember who was there, what was present, what was the event going on. You can perhaps bring yourself back. You can remember smells. You can remember all kind of different things. And your mind is triggered on remembering when you see a specific image. And so how many of you ever, when you have people around, you bust out the, the photo albums or in just your case, you might cast it on Google Chrome or whatever and cast it to your TV and you start showing some photos and you start reminiscing about these different times and these different moments. And you can remember all these things about it. So let me tell you a little bit about this moment. This is my 25th birthday party. Now, I am about to be 39, literally in like a little over a week. So 14 years ago now, that's, I actually had more hair, uh, less hair, but it wasn't as white back then. So, um, but this is my 25th birthday party where my wife surprised me. We had a friend who was a cake decorator, and her husband took me out to go play golf. And we were at the driving range while everybody was scattering around to be able to get to my house. He had me park far away. All of a sudden, I walk up, I open up the door, and there's this huge group of people who are there to celebrate my birthday for this surprise birthday party. And in case you didn't know, I am a huge Boston Red Sox fan because I am from Massachusetts, so I would be expelled from my home state if I wasn't a Red Sox fan. So so I am from there, so I bleed Boston Red, and so that, I was, I'm a huge Boston Red Sox fan, and so that was kind of that picture. Let me show you the next one. So the next one, this picture is with me and my two brothers, and this was a very special moment. On October the 2nd, 2015, I got to, as a minister, officiate my sister's wedding. What a, cool, what a cool memory, right? How cool is that to be able to officiate your own sister's wedding? So here we are with my two brothers. And uh, so my brother Louis, the one with the shorter hair, my brother Lorenzo with the longer hair, and then you got me taking a really bad selfie. And so here is all of us outside of the beautiful chapel and uh, just being able to experience this, this memory with my brothers as we were celebrating my sister's wedding. And uh, there's many more stories that can be told about that, but we'll show you one more. And you might know this guy. So look at this guy. Who's that guy in the red t-shirt? I think we know who he is. That's Kevin Davis. So uh, this, is, this is 10 years ago in 2012. In 2012, Kevin Davis and I used to lead a Bible study. We used to call them adult, we used to call them ABF groups, and we led, we led AF2. And this is the AF2 garage sale that took place uh, that um, Aaron and Luke Bender, this was back in your, in your neighborhood, and they, every, they, twice a year they had this massive garage sale. So we decided as a group to throw, to be participating in this garage sale to raise some money for the church and everything. And so there's me and Kevin Davis, and Kevin Davis looks like he has an AF2. Aged a bit except with some facial hair and somehow I look like I got older so I don't know how that happens so ask Kevin Davis about the fountain of youth because he may have an answer so or maybe it's all that running that he does I don't know maybe it's that as well 
But I show you these pictures not only to share some fun memories with you, but the point being is that I can look at these images, I can remember where I was, I can remember the people in the images, I can remember the situations, I can remember certain distinct things about those moments, and I remember them as crystal clear as if I'm reliving them 10, 15 years after the fact. There's another picture in my mind that you won't see because a lot of times when we show pictures, we don't show pictures that are really bad pictures unless they're ones that we can laugh about. But a picture you don't see that is fresh in my mind is you don't see a high school boy who wanted to be popular. You don't see a high school boy who was lost after the death of his grandmother. You don't see a high school boy who was doing drugs just to try to fit in. You don't see a high school boy who was lost and was desperate and didn't know what to do and was willing to find acceptance wherever it could possibly take place. But that picture is fresh in my mind's eye, and I'll never forget that reality. I'll never forget of where I was and the things that I was doing before I came to know Jesus. And that picture is as fresh in my mind as these wonderful memories that I've got to experience since I have come to know Christ. Okay? And this is what Paul is going to do for the believers in Ephesus. He's going to take them back. He's going to take them back to the moment. He's going to paint the picture for us of what it looks like for those who are not in Christ. He's going to remind believers that this is what you looked like when you weren't in Jesus. And he's going to remind, and that situation is reflective of all the people who aren't in Christ. So he's going to paint for them a picture. He's going to cause them to remember because only against that backdrop, when we remember what we were doing, how lost we actually were, then the beautifulness of grace then comes to the forefront. Because we cannot understand the beauty of God's grace until we understand the depths of our sin and the need for it. Only when we understand how lost we were can we begin to even appreciate what God did for us on the cross. I don't know about you, but I was lost. I had no inclination to want to turn toward Jesus. I was running as far away as I could from him. I quite enjoyed my sin. I felt like it was a rude interruption, by the way, when he came into my life. I would have been totally content doing what I was doing until Jesus found me. And I remember that lost high schooler when he came into my life this summer going into my senior year of high school. This is exactly what Paul wants to do. He wants believers to remember how they came to be in Christ. And then he's going to expand upon that. Once he, re once he paints this, this kind of horrible picture, then he's going to say, now that that's, been hap that's happened, he's going to utter the two most grace-filled words in all Scripture, but God. But God. But God. And God intervenes in the midst of it. So here's my one true statement for you today is when we understand how lost we were, only then can we really appreciate how amazing God's grace is. Let me say that again. When we understand how lost we were, only then can we really appreciate how amazing God's grace is. If we took the time, I'm sure many of you can share a story very similar to me. How many of y'all remember how lost you were before you came to Jesus? You remember how hopeless some things were. You remember how dark things were. You remember how you needed a lifeline. You remember those situations. Some of you may remember it was at the end of a bottle. Some of you may remember that it was at the end of a financial ruin. Some of you may remember it was at the end of the loss of a loved one. All of those situations and circumstances that are so emblazoned into your mind because you really, you realize the reality of what he saved you from and how he brought you and how he's brought you into this beautiful thing called the body of Christ. So we have to paint a bad picture first.
before we get to the good one. So let's go in and open up to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start right in verse 1. And in verses 1 through 3, Paul's going to paint a very bleak picture of what it looks like before we come to know Jesus. So before Christ, this is what the picture looks like, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Apparently he's not, he doesn't know how to jump in very graciously. He just kind of throws it out there. You're dead in trespassing and sins. In which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Who's that, by the way? Who's the prince of the power of the air? Satan. He's saying you're under the dominion of Satan. So you walked, followed according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now this is not a very good picture. When he says that you are dead in verse 1, it literally means that you are spiritually dead. You are separated from God. And we are separated from God because of sin. We just celebrated communion, and Kevin just kind of brought that to the forefront for us, is the reality is, is that we are unrighteous, but we receive the righteousness of God because his righteousness is then given to us, okay? But we, our sin is what separates us from a holy God. Our sin is the very reason why Jesus needed to die. This death means that we are not in Christ. This death is because of sin. It is the basis of our separation. It's the problem by which Jesus needed to, to, needed to deal with. Only until Christ came, the sin problem could not fully be dealt with. So Paul is clearly talking about the past situation these believers were in. He says that you were in, past tense, okay? In the same situation, this is every person who is not in Christ finds themselves according to this description. So even though he's talking to believers about a past state, we can insert every person who's not under Christ right now finds themselves in this same state. Now let's go ahead and just highlight some of the things that he says. Verse 1, he says we're dead in trespassing and sin. Literally walking dead people. We are walking dead people with no hope, needing to be spiritually revitalized, literally spiritually resurrected to newness of life that can only happen through Jesus. It says we walked according to this world. Now the world doesn't mean the globe that you and I occupy and we take space in and we breathe in the air every single day. The world, actually as Paul has it envisioned and is very typical in Paul's writing, is the world speaks of a system, a way of thought and a way of life that is contrary to God. Let me say that again. It's a way of thought, a way of life that is contrary to God. So Paul is saying that before you were in Christ, you lived according to a system, a way of living, a way of thinking that did not function in a way that was honoring to God, that, if, that, if, that it reflected the fact that you were separated from him. Because if people are not in Jesus, then how else would we expect them to live? They're not going to live according to Jesus. So they're living according to the world. It says we lived under the rule of Satan, the prince of the power of the air, right? We belong to a different kingdom, sons of disobedience. It says we also lived according to the flesh. Now the flesh is interesting because flesh doesn't literally mean the meat that's stuck to your skeletal system, your bones, right? It's, it can mean that, but it often doesn't. And in Paul's thought and what he's talking about here but, uh, when it talks about flesh, is flesh is our sinful desires and inclinations that draw us away from God. Okay, and that flesh, that desire, those inclinations are things that we deal with as long as we wear this earth suit, like I like to call it. 
So these, we lived according to those passions, according to those desires that were not reflective of God. It says we followed the desires of our minds and of our bodies, and we were children of wrath. Are you sufficiently depressed now upon the state of which you were pre previously in? Hopefully you were previously in that state, but I hope that today, if you are not in Christ, you will see the severity of where you're at right now, and then you will see the beautifulness of the grace that he's going to extend to you today. Okay? So we were spiritually separated from God, living, thinking, acting in accordance with a system that's contrary to God. We were under the dominion of Satan. We were controlled by our lust and our flesh, and we were children of wrath. That is not a good description of where we were at. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. Look at verse 4. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, but God, as I said, the two most grace-filled words in all of Scripture, but not only is but God his grace, but he's also rich in mercy. Mercy could be described as God not giving us what we deserve, which is judgment because of our sin. So God withholding judgment because of his mercy. But then mercy's close cousin and relative, the other side of the coin, grace. What do we mean when we talk about the grace of God? Grace is a beautiful thing because it's something that everybody knows it when they see it. But oftentimes we don't know how to receive it or we don't know how to give it. But when we see it, we're like, man, that's such in contrast to our own human nature, we recognize the beauty of it. So what is grace? Grace is God's goodness or his favor extended toward his creation and particularly toward humans. So it's the favor of God, it's the goodness of God that we sang about earlier. It's this goodness, this favor that is extended. It's something that God gives, only he can extend this, this thing. It's a beautiful expression, it's a gift. Later he's going to call it a gift. Okay? So it's his goodness and favor extended towards humans, extended toward his creation, particularly toward humans. This is most clearly seen, the grace of God is most clearly seen in salvation being extended to people who are undeserving sinners because of the person and work of Jesus. This is where it's most clearly seen. When we see the gospel, we see grace. When we hear the good news of Jesus, of his death, burial, and resurrection for sinners to make it possible for us to have a relationship with him, we see grace. It is most clearly on display in that, in that particular way because we recognize how undeserving we are. You live with yourself every day. I live with myself every day, and every single day I let my own self down. Can I get a witness? Or maybe y'all just more holy than I am, all right? But I let myself down every single day, and I certainly let my wife down every single day. But the reality is, is that grace is this beautiful thing that only when we recognize just how much we need it, can we then begin to appreciate it and then be able to appropriate it to our lives. Here's a statement that I want to make that I want you to be able to see and to be able to get. Grace, if I could say it this way, is the marriage between the mercy of God, not getting what we deserve, and the love of God. Those two things, the mercy of God and love of God coming together is grace. It's this beautiful thing because it's an expression of his love. It's also an expression of him withholding judgment. It comes together and coalesces in this beautiful thing that we call grace. So grace is the marriage between the mercy of God and the love of God. 
It's motivated by his love. The reason why God wants to give grace is because he's a loving God. It's only because he wants to extend it to you. He does it out of his motivation, his love. He has, why? I don't know, but I'll take it as scripture what it says, that his love is what motivates him to do this and to be able to extend this beautiful thing toward us. Now, I could tell my wife that I love her all the time, and I do. It's verbally good to tell your wife and your spouse that you love them. Make that a common practice. And my wife just said amen. Amen to all of you too. You should look at your spouse and say right now, I love you. Oh man, y'all didn't participate. All right, that's okay. I wasn't necessarily expecting that, but some of y'all just looked at each other like, we're supposed to say it? But. but it's good to tell your spouse that you love them. But now, there is, comes a point where um, you got to show that you actually do the words that you utter have some weight to them. Let's just say it that way, okay? There has to be a point where your words back up, your, your actions back up your words. I do things for my wife out of my love for her, which motivates my actions toward her. And hopefully that's reciprocal, and she does the same. She absolutely does. Love is not found in necessarily a romantic comedy or a Nicholas Sparks novel, okay? No matter how much you love The Notebook. So... But love that God expresses toward us goes beyond the realm of butterflies in the stomach. He loves us even when we don't love him back. It literally says when we were dead in our trespassing and sin, God extends this love toward us even while we were yet sinners. So he loves us even when we don't love him. His love is expressed even when we're dead in our sins. Guess what? Dead people cannot love back. Dead people can't love back. If we're spiritually dead in our sins, until we come to Christ, where then he literally makes us alive, then we have the capacity to know, to receive, to see the love of God, and be able to respond to it. Romans 5.8 says this, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You and I do not have to question the fact of God's love for us. We may question that reality when it comes to other human individuals, but we never have to question it when it comes to God, because all we have to do is remember the cross, and we remember that God continuously is showing his love toward us. He's extending it toward us. And his actions are motivated by his love that motivates him to action on our behalf, on your behalf, and on mine. Look at the end of verse 5. And then it says, but he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. There is in him, in Christ, this whole terminology again. There's so much to unpack in these few verses, and I think the best way to unpack that is to look at that in contrast to what he said previously about us being before we came to Christ. It says at the middle, at the, uh, middle of verse 5, it says that he made us alive with him. But made us alive in contrast to the fact that we were dead, right? Verse 1 tells us we were dead, but now in Christ we're made alive. Praise God. He literally, it's a, it's a contrast. We were dead, now we're made alive. So spiritual life happens, resurrection life happens because of Jesus. He raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places. That sure sounds a lot different than living according to the course of the world and the prince of the power of the air. Basically, we have a transfer of ownership. We are now part of a new kingdom. Our residence and our ownership has been transferred. He extends toward us grace and kindness as opposed to us being children of wrath. 
So positionally, our relationship to God changes when we are in Christ. All of these beautiful things, literally in Jesus, by his grace, he has wiped away all of these things that previously we found ourselves in when we were not in Christ. But then it gets real good. Verse 8. And this is the verses that hopefully if you grew up in church, you know verse 8 and 9 like the back of your hand. But when you look at it in this context, it makes sense why Paul would put it in here. But it also makes it even more beautiful when you just look at the reality of what he laid out about who we were before we came to Jesus. So verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is what? What is it? It's the gift of God. You should highlight that. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So Paul just talked about what Christ does when we are in him. Now he goes and expands upon what does it look like when grace truly saves us. In these few verses, Paul is going to teach us four very important little principles. Four important principles. They're on your actual handout, but I want to elaborate on them just a little bit. The very first thing he's going to show us is that, number one, that the motivation or the cause for salvation is grace. It says, for by grace you have been saved. It's the motivation. It's the engine behind salvation. It's a work and an extension of his grace, the unmerited favor and love and goodness that he shows toward undeserving sinners. That is the motivation, the cause behind salvation. Salvation is not about your own doing. There's nothing that you and I can do. It is the gift of God. God is not required to offer it to us, but he does so because of his love for us as an expression of his grace. Grace is the motivating engine behind it. The second thing is the way, the means by which we receive salvation is we receive it by faith. Faith is not something you conjure up on your own. It's something that we actually, it's like, it's like a beggar holding out their hand and waiting to be able to receive and receiving something from them that only someone else can give them. And this is what God does. God is extending his hand. You're just reaching out your hand and you're receiving what God has actually given. Faith is the way in which salvation comes to you and I. It is not a feeling. It is a belief. It's a deep-seated trust. We trust that God's work that he has done in Jesus, that what Jesus has done upon the cross is sufficient to be able to save us. We trust in that. We trust in Jesus. Let me show you how this works, the relationship between these two things. How many of y'all like to receive gifts? Anybody like to receive gifts? All right, so ain't nothing wrong with receiving a good gift. So, uh, so I like to receive gifts. I like to give gifts as well. And so here's the way that we can see the relationship between grace and faith almost. And so let me, let me picture this for you. So my birthday's coming up, like I said. So if my wife was to purchase me a gift, she goes and purchases me whatever the gift is, and she purchases this for me, and she says, honey, here's this gift, wraps it up in a nice package, and it's great, and she extends me this gift. I'm like, awesome. The question is, let me ask you a question, did I earn the gift? No, right? She bought it. She spent the money. She did the research, whatever. She's the one who clicked on the Amazon wish list. She's the one who got a prime sent or whatever the case may be, right? So she's the one who got it sent. She did all the work. She did all the work. I didn't do nothing. And then she's handing me the gift. Now, imagine she's handing me the gift and I said, I don't want that. I ain't receiving that. I ain't receiving it. I appreciate it. It looks real pretty. 
That box was mighty nice. That's a really nice bow you put on it, but I ain't receiving it. I ain't taking it. So the gift has been extended, right? So as, as trivial as that sounds, the gift has been extended. The price has been paid for the gift. Please catch what I'm saying. The price has been paid for the gift. Everything that is needed has now been there, and the gift is now being extended. Until the gift is actually received, then it has not been appropriated then at that point. That's grace. Grace is the extension of the gift. It's God's hand saying, I have literally paid the price. I went on the wish list. I'm the one who did everything that needed to be done. I'm the one who's extending it to you now. There's nothing else that you need to do. It is complete. It's wrapped up. It's got a bow. It's everything ready for you. And faith is saying, I'm going to receive what God did trust and believe because I know he paid it all that's where grace and faith come together that's what we do when we believe faith is the means by us to receive that to receive this beautiful gift that God has given this gift that we call salvation and it's only by grace grace is the giving of the gift and faith is the receiving of it it's not of our own contribution. You and I contribute nothing to our salvation. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said that we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's true. The only thing that we contribute is the sin that needed made it necessary for the Savior to die upon the cross. But the effect of salvation is good works. He says then basically people who are saved, saved people do good works. We don't do good works to get a pat on the back at a boy from God. We don't do it that way. But I don't know about you, but when my heart has been changed by the gospel, I want to do things that reflect that my life has been changed by Jesus. Save people do good works. We do good works because we serve a good God. We do good works because we want people to see through our good works, they see that good God. We want to be able to have license to be able to tell people the reason why I do this, my motivation behind it was because my Savior's motivation was his love and his grace, and I'm doing the same thing because I want you to know this Savior of love and grace. So save people do good works, okay? They are direct results of our lives being transformed. We are saved unto good works. The gospel changes our lives. It becomes the motivation, the engine behind our actions. I think differently. I act differently since I responded to the gospel. My heart is not the same anymore. It changes our motivation behind our actions. We are not saved by good works, but good works are definitely a validation of our faith. Saved people will do good works because we serve a good God. And we want those works to be extended to others. Lastly, is the promise of salvation. I love verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship. Some of your translations literally may say masterpiece. Verse 10 says that we are God's workmanship or masterpiece. That means that God is making us into something that reflects him in his grace. Here's the promise of salvation. God is not done with you. God is not done with you. Salvation isn't something that just instantaneously happens at a moment when I place my faith in Jesus. No, when we read scripture, there's a process of ongoing growth that takes place where God's uprooting stuff in our lives. We start to look a little bit more like Jesus, hopefully on a day-to-day -day basis. If you want to sound smart to your friends, we call that process sanctification. When sanctification starts to kick in, hopefully more of us is being rooted out, more of him is taking root, where he's becoming more on the throne of my life and those areas are being exposed because the promise is that he who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. 
That's the promise of salvation. The promise is that, you know what, he doesn't just save me and give me fire insurance for eternity, but that he actually wants me to look a little bit more like him and that he's still working on me. I'm still a work in progress and that's okay. And you're still a work in progress too, but you are a masterpiece. You are God's workmanship. You are a beautiful expression of the master painter who is working on you. He's changing you. He's molding you. He's making you into who he wants you to be. God not only sees us how we are now, but he sees ultimately who we will be in Jesus. Let me say that again. God doesn't just see you who you are now, but he sees who you ultimately will be in Christ. God knows who he's making you to be. He knows how he has to shape you, to form you, in order to work in you, to work through you for the people he wants you to touch, for the things he wants you to do, for the ministry he wants to give you, for the things that he wants to work in your life. He's doing these beautiful, amazing things because you are his masterpiece and he is a master craftsman. Let's summarize this for you. So today we talked a little bit about what does it look like when we are before Christ as Paul's taking them back and looking at what it looks like when we are, when, before we come to know Jesus in this expression of faith and then what does it look like after we come to know Jesus. And he gives us this corresponding picture of those two realities. And only when we understand how lost we were, only then can we really appreciate how amazing God's grace is. I hope that when you walk out of this place today, you are in awe. Not because of things I said, but you're in awe because of the amazing grace of God. That you realize the depth of what the Savior did for you. And that you just realize how beautiful it is, the gift that he extends to you. So my encouragement to you, how can you put this into practice this week? I want to encourage you with a couple things, one of which is not written on the screen. The first one is to take a look back. I want you to take a look back intentionally this week. I want you to remember, if you're here today and you're a believer who placed their faith in Jesus, I want you to try to remember, if you can remember like me, like that high school boy who was lost, I want you to remember with vivid detail where you were before you came to Christ. You know, they say hindsight is 2020. Now that we look back, we could be able to see with more clarity how God was bringing relationships in. We see how God was working circumstances. We see how God was bringing us into a place and that this person was coming alongside of us. All of these many different ways in which God was working in order to get our attention. I encourage you, it's really good for us sometimes to think back because you never want to forget where you came from. And that when we don't forget where we came from, we, we keep our appreciation and we tap into the deep well of that grace and realize his magnificent love and where he's brought us from. Secondly, if you are here today and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, then verses 1 to 3, unfortunately, as bad of a description as it is, that's where you find yourself today. And I don't know your spiritual condition before God. Only you and God know that. But I am here to tell you that God is extending to you today his grace. You can't walk out of this place and did not say that you have not heard the grace and mercy of God extended to you through the person and work of Jesus. Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect and sinless life, as a representation for humanity to die upon the cross to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He died, he was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection, as proof and validation that not only that his sacrifice was acceptable, but also that you too may receive resurrection and newness of life. And Jesus told the, the ruler Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that nobody can come into the kingdom unless they are born again. And we are born again when we place our faith in Christ and then Christ Christ puts us in him. 
So today, I want you, hopefully, that you will make that decision by the prompting and leading of the Holy Spirit, that you will receive the Savior's grace today as he extends it to you. The gift is being extended. The question is, will you reach out and receive it by faith? Let's pray. So, Lord, we love you and we do praise you. We thank you for your magnificent mercy and your grace. God, I just, I think about with such vivid clarity how lost I was. And it makes me recognize and appreciate the depths of your grace to be able to save. That, Lord, that no person is beyond the realm of your salvation. No person is outside the bounds. No person is so lost that they cannot be found. No person is in such a dark place where the light cannot reach them, where you cannot pick them up, where you cannot save them, redeem them, and make them into a new creation in you. And so, Lord, I pray that for those of us who are believers today, that may that be fresh and new to us, and to take Paul's challenge to remember where we've come from in order to appreciate where we're at and where we're still going. As Lord, you're still working on us. We're not perfect, but we're being perfected. But Lord, I do pray for those who are under the sound of my voice today who do not know you, who have not placed their faith in Jesus to be in Christ. I pray that today that they will see that the hand of grace has been extended to them, that you have made it possible for them to be in relationship with you. And if that is you today, then all scripture says is we simply have to believe. That's faith. We trust, we receive. What do we believe? We believe in that gospel. We believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he was buried and then he rose again. And we can express that belief through prayer. And you can pray something simple like this, like where you're at right now, that dear Jesus, I believe. I believe that you came to this earth and that you lived a perfect life. That you died upon the cross for my sins. And that you were buried and that you rose again. I pray that you would make, that I want to make you the Lord and King over my life. Make me a new creation in you today and help me to serve you all the days of my life and to walk according to your will and your way. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. Amen. I'm going to get you all to stand. We're going to go ahead and dismiss. But if that's you today, in all sincerity, if that is you and you, you, you prayed that or something along those lines, or if you really want to know more about Jesus, then I'd love to talk with you after the service or talk with one of our elders. We'd love to be able to talk with you about that because we believe that, we believe exactly like we're saying today. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in his crucifixion and all that it stands for. So as we dismiss, let me go ahead and pray this blessing over you to pray our benediction over you. So may the Lord go before you to light the path and to give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. May he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant to you the character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater in your, than your influence. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Love you all so much. We'll see you next week. Thank you.